you ever have one of those those moments where you think you've got everything nice and neat and organized and you've got all your ideas laid out and everything seems like, okay, I know exactly what to do and exactly when to do it and everything is great. And then you sit down to get started and you realize you don't have like the first two things you really need. Uh, that was me in this moment. I sat down thinking I had everything all set up and I realized I didn't have enough glasses of water. So there was this like mad dash. I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm having this mad dash to refill a glass of water. So uh, I think now, I think that's it. I think I'm good to go. I think we're ready. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got all my ducks in a row. You got all your ducks in a row. Everybody good? Everybody got everything? Because I think... I think maybe we should just start today. There's some great questions coming up, some fantastic stuff coming up, and I think you're really going to like it. I hope you really like it. I know I'm going to really like it. And maybe that's not the most important thing, but at least one of us should like the things we're talking about, right? Let's get started. Let's do this. All right. Just remember what I've taught you. Yeah. Okay. Hi. How are you? Everything okay? We good? Have we uh have we we had a nice day so far? I've had a pretty good day. You know what? It's been better than an okay day. It's been actually a really really good day. Uh, I'm surprised by the amount of good things that have happened to me and the and the the reduced number of terrible things. That's a nice change of pace lately. I'm quite grateful. Thank you for being here. If you have no idea what's going on or what I'm talking about, hi, I'm John. Uh, it's my job to help you write better. Hello. Uh, and this is the Writer's Chat for uh, October the 24th. But we can do a, a better, proper intro, can't we? Ladies and gentlemen, guys, gals, non-binary pals, friends, writers, makers, doers, dreamers, pantsers, plotters, t-shirt wearers, sock lovers, Anybody who's ever had to vacuum really quick when they thought, oh no, maybe somebody will care about my carpet. Or anybody who's ever realized they're entirely out of forks two minutes or before they have a meal. Anybody who's ever wondered if it's weird that they have favorite pants. People who enjoy fruit salad, but like all the parts of the fruit salad, not just like three quarters of it and then leave one melon alone in a plastic bucket. People who can appreciate a fine cup of cocoa on a cold day. People who would love a good root beer just randomly. Anyone who's ever loved to laugh. Anybody who's ever loved or lived to make anyone else laugh. Hi. This is the Writer's Chat. You're in the right place. And especially the comrades. 
here we are. We're going to answer some questions today. Good questions, deep questions, heavy questions, but some, some good ones. And my goal, my hope, my plan is to better equip you and arm you to go forward. I want you to write whatever you're going to write. I want your books on my shelf. I want your stuff on my screen. I want your art in my face and out in the world. And I think one of the best ways to do that isn't just to tell you the same 10 things you can get by Googling, but to give you like actual support. Because out there in the world, with all the experts, I'm making air quotes, experts and gurus and all these different kinds of people, um, they love to tell you what to do and what not to do, but they don't really seem to do a great job at supporting anybody. So I want to be the guy to support. So, hey, it's support time. We're going to do this. I've got 13 questions, and I think I'm pretty confident, in fact, one of them somewhere is going to make a difference for you. So let's get started, shall we? First question up. Any tips for writing poetry for a contest? Yes, I have several. Um, first of all, that contest is going to have rules. They're going to tell you, like, we want poems of this size, not that size. We want poems about these things, not those things. And obviously, the first tip is going to be follow the rules. No matter who you are, no matter what contests you've won before, no matter how many contests you've entered before, always follow the rules. Contests sort of work that way. That's obvious rule number, tip number one. Tip number two, rather than try and make the best poem for the contest, like if your topic is X, don't try and go out of your way to forcibly make the best X poem possible because you'll never let yourself do it. Not because you're incapable of doing it, but because you're, but you'll overthink it. You'll panic. You'll freak out. It, it happens. It's because you're trying too hard. And when you try too hard, the good things you enjoy, you don't enjoy them so much. So don't overthink it by trying to come up with like, I need this poem to be the greatest poem about whatever the contest topic is for all time. That's what everybody else is going to do. Either that, or they're going to sit there and say, well, who else could be entering this? I have to beat them. And this is another avenue you don't want to go down because you want to, here's your second tip, you want to craft the best poem that moves you that does something for you. The contest is just a way of broadcasting it to somebody else, but you're always going to center that poetry and that expression for yourself. It just so happens that, oh, by the way, it's a contest. Next tip, in addition to centering yourself and making yourself happy within the parameters and rules of the contest, don't try and compete with the unknown people. You don't know how many people are in this thing. It might be like five. It might be 50. It might be a thousand. Who knows? But rather than try and guess like, oh, I bet, I bet these other people will write poems like this or like that because they posted samples or something. Don't try and fight your opponents. They're not your opponents. This isn't like a, like we're not playing checkers or we're not in like a one-on-one -on -one fight. We're not trying to beat them. What we're trying to do, what we're hoping to do, is demonstrate to as many people as possible the quality of your art, which means focus on your craft. Don't worry about what other people are doing. It doesn't matter if you're the only entrant in the contest. It doesn't matter if you're one of 10,000 entries. 
focus on doing what you want, saying what you want that's going to move you, that if you were judging this contest, not that you would pick it on the basis of technical merit. Ah, this is the, this is the poem that used the word orange the best because that's ridiculous. But if, if you were tasked with running a contest, what's going to make your poem stand out? Is it the craft? Is it the technique? Is it the meter? Is it your word choice? Is it the visual layout on the page? Is it some combination of all those things? Is it because you're doing something in a way that other people go one way and you go the other? They all write nice, you know, couplets and you're coming out here with like triplets. Or you've got all words that start with T. Rather than try and engineer the poem so that it does a million things like perfectly and it sets up a thousand different showy offy. That's a technical term, right? Showy offy parts. Look at me with this thing and look at me with this term. Make art. Make something that moves you. So that way, if it goes forward in the contest, it can stand toe-to-toe with anybody who's over-engineered something trying to win. And if it doesn't go forward, you've at least known that you're capable of rolling out some art that you genuinely like because you can take that contest submission and put it somewhere else. Slap it on a poster. Uh, use it in other contests. Just have it in your house. Make it for you rather than for the contest. Yes, enter the contest. Absolutely, you should. Go for it. But in terms of what you're going to offer the contest, aim to offer it more for yourself than for them. And I think you'll like where it ends up. Other than that, don't run on too long. Know when to stop. There's your last tip. Know when to stop. Know when to walk away. Like Kenny Rogers says, know when to walk away and know when to run. I hope that helps. On we go. Question number two. Why is my draft taking so long? It's not. It is not taking so long. Whatever the hell so long means, I have no idea. But yeah, why is my draft taking so long? It's not taking so long. It's taking the amount of time you're giving it. If you are writing 10 words every other week for whatever reason, yeah, it's going to take you more time than if you wrote a 1,000 words a day. That's not so long. That's just the amount of time it takes relative to the amount of work you're doing. Seems pretty straightforward. If you're mad at yourself that you think you should be done faster, rather than get angry about your idea or some notion you have about being a better writer or a worse writer because of how quickly or slowly something is happening, take a look at the thing you're doing and how you're doing it. If you're barely contributing to it, if you're barely doing something to like make a difference, then of course it's going to feel inadequate. But the point here isn't to sit down and like get it done as quickly as possible. There's no reward for getting it done fast. You don't get more money. You don't get, you know, bigger sales or anything. It just takes as long as it takes. If you are frustrated, look first at your schedule. Look second at the way you're getting the story out. And third, then look at the story. Because it's also possible that you're writing regularly. 
you've got it well organized, but you just have too much story. You have to learn to pare things back, that you don't need to over-explain everything, that it doesn't need six separate scenes where there are just jokes. It's not about taking so long, like a draft of a book, whatever it is, has a certain amount of time to it. If you don't do it in X number of days, you're bad. Um, that's not how this works. This isn't like, you know, stuff you put in the fridge that has an expiration date. It's not going to suddenly just go moldy or gross or something. It takes as long as it takes. And I think too many authors, writers of all different kinds of stuff, spend way, way too much time and even more energy trying to get their head around some expectation they have that like better writing happens quickly and bad writing takes a while. Or they justify it the other way around and say, well, I'm, I'm taking my time because I want to do a good job. Time and your effort are not the same thing. Your effort is your effort, whether you take a month, a week, a year, two years, 10 years, 10 minutes. You put in the effort. That's what matters. Who cares how long it takes? When your book goes forward, let's say you go query it, traditional publishing, or let's say you self-publish it. In either case, once you get past the writing stage, no one's going to ask you how long it took to write. Maybe a reader will at some point, a beta reader or something will stop and ask. But they're not asking because they're judging your quality. They're asking because they're curious. Oh, I didn't know it took that long. Or, oh, that's wow. That sound doesn't sound like a long time at all. And that'll be the end of it. It is not a, a, um, an indicator that you suck. It's not that at all. It's just a thing they're thinking about. Don't, don't overthink it. Your draft is taking as long as it's taking because of how you're approaching it. Not because you're good, not because you're bad. It's just because that's how you're approaching it. Let's use a non, let's wrap this up with a non-writing example. There are rooms in my house that I probably should clean. I should definitely vacuum, maybe wipe down the surfaces, dust, open the windows, air the place out a little, right? If I do each one of those things, like one thing a day, it's going to take me all week to get one room done. It'll get done. And it gives me the luxury of being able to complain about how long it's taking. Oh my God, it's taking forever to clean that bedroom. Oh my God, why is this taking so long? It's because I'm barely doing anything. But if I sat down and I really made a list of all the things I need to do. I need to dust this. I need to run the vacuum. I need to open the windows. I need to you know, strip the bed. I need to do this. I need to do that. If I just make a list of all those things, and then I go do them, how long do you think it actually takes to do them? Honestly, how long does it take to pull the sheets off a bed? How long do you think it takes to open windows? I know that's not directly one-to-one -one comparable with how long does it take to write a chapter, but nobody cares how long it takes, just that you do it. Sit down, organize, and go forward. Stop thinking about your draft writing in terms of this like finite expiration date and somehow you have to write a certain amount in a certain amount of time in order to qualify as good because that's, that's just wrong. Like That's just stupid. You're, you're making this harder on yourself when you hold yourself to these ridiculous expectations because... One, nobody cares how long it takes. And two, no one's looking. It doesn't matter if you wrote your book 10 words a day every day or every time you went to the bathroom, you pulled your phone out and 
wrote four sentences and then, you know, went about your day every day. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is that eventually at some point, all the words are on the page and then all the pages are together and then you move forward. Stop looking for reasons to get angry at yourself about what you're doing or not doing and put your focus on just doing it. On we go to the next question. With all the rewriting I'm doing, why am I not a better writer? Okay. Okay. Come here. Come here. Lean, lean here. I'm not going to yell into the microphone. I just want to, I just want to tell you a secret. Okay. Better. I'm making air quotes. Better writers don't rewrite less. Books do not spring out of people fully formed and perfect when they're good, I'm making air quotes, good writers, and it's pulling teeth for the rest of the world. That's not how this works. You keep thinking that and you will keep not succeeding at what you're doing. You're not a better writer because rewriting isn't how you get better as a writer. It's how you improve a work. And there is a difference between those two things. Please allow me to explain. If I rewrite a paragraph five times, just trying to find five different ways to say a thing, I am not improving my technique as a writer. I am just changing the presentation of the ideas because I'm not really growing. I'm not really challenging myself. I'm not really pushing myself. I'm just finding five different ways to say something. If I want to be better about it though, if I want to really push my craft and challenge myself, yeah, I'm going to need to shuffle the words around, come up with different ways of saying a thing, but I also need to fundamentally accept that in order to do that, I might have to change the whole thing. Because if I just say, I'm going to rewrite this paragraph and I keep producing paragraphs, I'm not necessarily pushing myself. But if I say, okay, it's a paragraph right now, but I think I need to turn it into two or three paragraphs, or a, or less, or a sentence, or a dialogue scene, and I need to fundamentally change how I think about this text, in this space, in this way, then that's where you get to advance your craft. That's where you get to give a shit about things. When you just see it as, I need to rewrite this paragraph, it's sort of like saying, I need to repaint the color on this car. I need to, you know, wash this off and use a blue towel, not a red towel. It's a superficial sort of thought. It's a superficial consideration as to what makes us better writers. Better writer doesn't mean perfect manuscript development. Better writer doesn't mean I don't make any mistakes when I write things down. Better writer means I grow my craft and I challenge myself to not just repeat ideas but in new presentations, but to fundamentally reconsider my idea in the first place and make a bold choice that's maybe a little vulnerable for me and maybe a little bit scary for me. So if I'm going to write this paragraph, sure, some paragraphs are just going to be boring. Sometimes we're just going to talk about a room. Sometimes we're just going to talk about like breakfast on the table. But other times we have these opportunities where we're going to dig into character, where we're going to say something about a scene. And we're going to do that from a position where we're going to admit something about ourselves because maybe we, just for example, we feel really crushingly lonely. And we feel like so few people genuinely love us and want us. 
And our character is much the same way. So we can take our feelings and we can find a way to put voice to them. We can have them come out of our character's mouth. We can get into our character's thoughts and mirror our own thoughts. And we can express that in a way that feels a little risky because we're doing it at all. But it's a little bit protective as well because now it's not John saying it. It's John's character saying it. So we get that little bit of insulation. But in doing that, we get to express ourselves. We get to expose ourselves. We get to share ourselves. And when we, com- when we combine those efforts with the act of I'm trying to write in a way that is not just the same stagnant thing I've been doing over and over again, your writing craft and technique will improve. It's not about I memorized all 57 flavors of this sentence or the, the 10 rules about commas. You didn't have to do any of that. What matters is that you've got this idea and you know there are a number of ways to express it and that you've chosen one because it makes the most sense for what's coming next. You're thinking one, two, three, four steps, moments, scenes ahead. So you're setting things up now rather than just looking at things as individual blocks that you snap together to make a coherent shape. Stop looking for the reasons to justify why you can keep telling yourself you're not a better writer and take a look at the actions you take to do the writing. Because if you are not challenging yourself and expressing yourself in a more vibrant, fundamental, vulnerable, risky, feeling, squishy way, your craft will not increase. Otherwise, you will just be going through more and more elaborate motions, but they will be hollow. It's like this. You can watch somebody do a thing and you can duplicate their move. Okay, they picked up the brush, they moved it this way. Ah, they picked up the knife, they cut that way. They grabbed the wrench, they grabbed the hammer. I can do the same action. But there's more to the craft of what they're doing than just repeating the action. It's understanding the force behind it, the reason why it has to be done this way, the three things that that action will enable down the road. And all of that comes not with just knowledge of do X, then Y, then Z, one, two, three, four, five steps, but it comes to understanding the bigger picture of how all the things you do, all the things you think, all the things you plan work together. Stop looking at better writing as just flawless writing or writing with fewer mistakes because they're not the same thing. And it is unfortunate and frustrating that we so often shorthand this is good writing and this is bad writing by broad labels like that when we should take, I'm guilty of it too, we should take 10 more seconds to say this is not good writing because it is not whatever the problem is. We should follow through with that more. Thank you for your question. It's delightful. I see there are people in chat. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for being here. And you're very welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm always happy to answer questions. Any question you ask will always get an answer, no matter how weird, silly, stupid, personal, odd, or, you know, small it is. You can ask anything you want anytime. That's how this works. So, people in chat. Hi. Do you have any questions while I shove some root beer in my face? Shall we move on? 
things get a bit deeper up ahead, just just so you know. On we go. Question four. Oh. At what point in the drafting process should I get worried about not being a good writer? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to challenge you on this question. And some of you out there are going to get mad at YouTube, wherever you're watching this, or Twitch if you're watching it live, or mad at your headphones if you're listening to this as a podcast. Because... I'm going to ask you, and I know you can't answer me because, you know, I'm recording it now and most of you listening to this aren't here live. I'm going to ask you why it matters to be a good writer and why you think that has to be like the thing you put way out front. Like, why is that a big deal to you? It's not a bad thing, but you got a lot of eggs in this basket. A good writer does not care about the number of drafts. A good writer does not care about how long these things take. It does because it does not matter how many drafts there are. Does not matter how many words there are. Does not matter how long it took you to write a thing or not write a thing. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from your writing. It doesn't matter if, you know, so much stuff overwhelms you and you need to frequently like break it into tiny parts and then sit down and then like have a panic attack. That's why I'm no longer on camera. I get it. But this idea you have what a good writer is and the way you set it up as though we're talking about this other person who lives on the fucking moon and they are so millions of miles away from you is a dangerous and stupid thing. And I would strongly encourage you with as much kindness as I can muster right this second to tell you to knock it the fuck off. Please. You can be a better writer than you are right now. That is not the same as being a good writer because this good bad binary is the cause of many problems. It doesn't matter how many drafts you have. If you start worrying about the quality of your writing on the basis of the number of drafts you've made, the problem isn't with the writing you're doing. It's with the setup and developing you're doing of your ideas. Because the writing is just the follow-through. If you've poorly organized a thing, so it's taking you a lot of different tries to get it to somewhere where you feel good with it, the problem isn't you doing it at all. The problem is that you haven't laid out your idea enough. Now, yes, maybe the idea is part of the problem. You need to think it through more. You need to add more detail, you know, something like that. But the act of you doing it is different than what it is you're doing. And you shouldn't quit doing a thing just because this one thing you're attempting isn't working in the current way you are trying it. If that's the case, then I would never make food because if I burn something, does that mean I should never make dinner again? Or if I drop something, should I never carry anything again? That's the same sort of idea, the same kind of thing you're telling yourself when you're like, oh, I'm not a good writer because of this reason. Ah, oh, there's too many drafts. I'm not a good writer. It's taking me too long. I'm not a good writer. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not as detailed as I know it should be, so I'm not a good writer. You keep looking for reasons to be okay with not being good. 
And I would love for you to stop doing that because no one's saying that. I love you. Nobody's telling you you're a bad writer except you. And I can't let you talk about my friend that way. I, I just can't. I got to stick up for my friends and the people I love. And I'm not going to let you shit talk them. So shut the fuck up for a minute and stop telling me that my friends are bad writers. Because they're not. They're not where they want to be yet. They're not published yet. They're going to get better. I would love to see a few of them push themselves a little bit farther and a little bit harder than they're doing right now. But that's on them to figure out and that's on them to admit and them to accept and then, then on them to do something about it. And I'll be here to help them the entire time. And if we never get there, then we never get there. I'm still going to love them. I still think they could do it. But telling yourself you're a bad writer because, oh, I'm on draft five. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? If you are looking for reasons to quit, just quit. If you are looking for reasons to say you're bad at something, you can do that. Just don't do that near me because I'm I'm not going to let you, you know, do that. That's not... That's not the point. If you want to get better at what you're doing, it's not about how many times you try it. It's about how you work to get better. I don't care if you have to write 10 drafts. Your editor, your publisher, your pimp, they don't care if you do 20 drafts. So long as you make your deadline, so long as you do what they need you to do, will they talk shit about you? Yeah, they're wired to talk shit about you. Some people are just like that. But that's sort of the, the, the boat you get in to row away to do what you want to do. That's, that's what you sign up for. Not everybody's like that, but that's, there's a fair amount of that. But you can't tie your goodness as a writer to the number of things you've done. You can't because they're not the same. Are you a bad writer if you wrote 100,000 words, then you edit your book down to 95,000 words? Are you a bad writer if you need to add a chapter? Oh my God, I forgot this scene with the brother. Does that make you a bad writer because you forgot a detail? No one is expecting you to be perfect except you. No one needs you to be perfect except you. And it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to need help. It's okay to get help. It's okay to say, yeah, today's not a day writing is going to happen because of whatever reason. And it's fine. Is it ideal when there's always a reason day after day after day and we never examine it, we never try? That's a problem. But if you get a day where you get, I don't know, a head cold or you've got work to do or you know you get into an argument with somebody and it just fucks up your focus, that's not a problem. Just take the day off. It's okay. And if you're writing a draft and you're getting frustrated, and you're like, ah, screw it, and then you start over. Okay, I would love for you to go back at some point and dig into why you said screw it and pick the draft up again and see what you can do with it. But if this is becoming a pattern where you get so far and then you stop, we should examine why you get so far and stop rather than what the idea is because you're not even giving the idea a chance. Drafting is drafting. It's organization. It's learnable skill. It has nothing to do with how good you write. Nothing at all. You can be a great writer and suck at drafting. You can be, 
you know, a really competent writer who fails to get their idea across because you're creative, but the way you think about writing is not the best way to get your creativity out of you. And we need to tweak a few things. That's the whole point of coaching. That's the whole point of like trying to do something in a medium. It doesn't always have to look the way everybody else's stuff looks in order to be, you know, good. I'm making air quotes for the sake of my point. There are loads of different ways to get the idea out of your brain. Use whatever ones you want to do what you want to do, but please stop looking at the production of what you're doing and judging it as some kind of way to conclude something about how you are as a creative overall. Good writers don't only do one draft and then walk away. They don't do two drafts. Most of them do more than three drafts. How do I know this? I have clients. They often write more than three drafts. And yes, we can joke about it and get frustrated. Oh my God, another draft. But whatever, who cares? At the end of the day, do we have a finished manuscript? Does it go forward the way they want? Does it do what they want to do? Then who cares how long it took? Hooray, it got there. Don't make this about good and bad. And don't talk shit about yourself. It's not helping. On we go. Question number five, if my publisher isn't doing my marketing, what do you recommend? Now, I think the question here was asked of me because they wanted me to tell them to leave their publisher. I think that's why this happened. Um, it, it doesn't matter. If you want to leave your publisher, leave your publisher. But if you're leaving your publisher because you're looking for another publisher who will do your marketing for you, uh, you will always be looking because publishers don't do the bulk of the marketing anymore because it costs money, because it costs time, because they have other things they want to focus on. You get to market. You have to market. You should be. You should want to market your work because it's yours first and everybody else's second. And who better than you to talk about your work? You made it. You know it better than anybody else. Now, I understand that when I say that, somebody somewhere gets real cranky and tells me, like, I'm bad at marketing. You can get better at marketing. I used to be really bad at talking into this microphone. I'm much better at it right now. I used to be really bad with a camera. Now I take some decent photos. I used to be really bad at folding towels. Guess what? I folded more towels and I got better at it. Marketing is a skill you can improve. If your publisher isn't doing your marketing, do the marketing you want to do. Do the amount you want to do. Now, remember, though, if you're like, I don't like doing marketing, so I don't do a lot of marketing, don't be surprised when you don't get a lot of sales. Don't be surprised when people don't know you have a thing available. You have to market your work. The age of somebody else is going to do it is over. You have to do your own marketing. I understand that you think marketing is gross. I understand that you think marketing is sleazy or that you suck at it or that you don't want to do what everybody else is doing. But stop for a minute and realize that the reason why everybody else is doing it, even if you don't like it, the reason why everybody and their mother's on TikTok, the reason why everybody is doing you know, Instagram reels and Facebook videos and TikTok and all that shit is because Nobody else is going to do it if they don't. And 
yes, you have to do it, but no, you don't have to do it the same way everybody else is. It's just going to require a little bit of effort if you want to deviate from what everybody else is doing. But it is still on you to do it. I'm sorry I can't just say, quit, go find a different publisher who will do your marketing for you. Because like, you know, multi-horned unicorns, uh, they don't exist. So, um, yeah, I recommend you do your marketing yourself. And if you need help, uh, head over to johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com and we'll talk and I'll help. But you got to at least come up with a starting point first. Good question. On we go. Question number six. If I'm doing my own formatting in Vellum, Vellum is software you can use to make an ebook. Is there anything I need to know? Yes. Uh, first of all, Vellum is useful. Vellum is expensive, but it is useful. Because if you plan on self-publishing a lot, get yourself a copy of Vellum. It's, you know, good and stuff. It's also industry standard. One of the things, other than the fact that uh, it's, it's a pretty straightforward uh, piece of software and it's designed for somebody who has no experience using it, it's designed to have a complete new person roll in, use this thing, and end up with a good product. Understand that a lot of times, if you've, if you've been formatting pretty easily and pretty standardly up to this point, there's not going to be a whole lot of bells and whistles you need to tweak. You might need to go back and adjust your chapters. You might have to go back and adjust your, your page breaks. But by and large, Vellum will handle a lot of what you can throw to it. And if Vellum doesn't, there is other software. There is more complicated software. And there are layout professionals you can go talk to at that point where, you know, you've tried it yourself and it, it, it got overwhelming or worse. So you want to do something about it. But by and large, leaving Vellum on its defaults the default font choice, I think, is Georgia. The default margins, the default font size, all that stuff. You'll do just fine. You'll do just fine. It's a little finicky sometimes with some manuscripts. Like if you're coming from not Microsoft Word or not a PDF into Vellum, it can get a little wonky. Like if you're using like strange old versions of OpenOffice, it gets a little like wild and you, you're going to have to do a little bit more work organizing like the spacing and the, and the page breaks and stuff. But by and large, if you are playing with standard equipment, Vellum will handle it just fine. Don't over-engineer it. Remember, though, that Vellum's primary job is to get the text in order. It is not a, it is not a Photoshop thing. It is not going to, you know, design your cover. It's not going to help, like, organize all that stuff. It's just going to turn the text into something readable that you can put on a Kindle or put on a reader or something like that. Super useful. Use the defaults. For the vast majority of people, that's going to be just fine. Okay? Good question. Nice technical question. On we go. I see people in chat. Hello, and you're welcome. I love answering questions. Questions, anybody? I'm going to actually put water in my face because the root beer is good, but I get, it makes me fucking thirsty. So questions about anything? Yes, no, 
else we will keep going. On we go. Question seven. My agent just dropped me via email. Yeah, that's the most common way to get dropped. Uh, my agent just dropped me via email. What is my next step? Well, let's see. In the short term, oh, there's a question in chat. I actually do. I, I keep forgetting there's a delay, so I'm going to jump back. I'm going to answer. Hang on. We're going to go backwards. I'm going to answer this question. How do you market a short story? Okay. First of all, we have to uh, accept that the kind of marketing you do between a short story and a novel is not that different. You're going to talk about the short story in slightly different ways, but you're still going to do the same sort of things you do with a novel. You're going to talk about the characters. You're going to talk about the plot. You're going to talk about the themes. When you have a short story, you're going to need to know character, plot, themes, and you're going to want to talk about much the same way we do when we market a novel, Talk about its its merits. Talk about the strong things that stand out about it. I like this scene, so I want to make sure I use that as an example. I like this idea, so I'm going to make sure I use that in as an example. And then you craft marketing depending on your platform. So you're going to make some tweets if you're on Twitter. You're going to make some medium length but fairly short posts if you're on Facebook. You're going to think visually if you're on Instagram. You're going to think a bit more uh, animatedly and excitedly if you're on TikTok, something like that, um, in order to take advantage of how that platform works. But you're, the fuel you're going to use on that platform stems from you having something to say about this story or, and this is important, or about how you wrote it. Oh, I wrote this scene because... Um, you know, this evil character here is, um, is a reflection of, you know, the bad experience I had with, with this, this person I dated or whatever. And, and using those ways to build a bridge between, because marketing's whole point is to build a bridge between your reader and, uh, and you and your work. So the, um, the, the way you market it, the way you craft that idea and stuff is to just lay out different elements of your work and talk about them in different ways. I talk about my characters this way. I talk about my plot that way. I talk about my themes and I'm going to do some combination of those things across all these different platforms. It's a lot of little steps rather than like two or three big magical ones. If that makes a if that makes sense. It's not like, ah, oh, I marketed by saying this exact sentence. It, we would love for it to be that way, but it's not. Take little pieces out of your story, highlight certain scenes, highlight certain ideas, figure out, depending on what you say about them, how you're going to best use it. I get really excited when I talk about the plot, so maybe I'll save that for a platform that, that, that favors excitement. Oh, you know, it's just a, a quick, short little summary. Maybe I'll put that on a more text-based platform. And you get to pick and choose different ways to do different things. But it's it's about understanding the components you're talking about. If, if we're going to, let's for we'll, we'll take a non-short story example. If we're going to make some bread and we're going to market bread, we're going to talk about probably the components of bread, how soft it is, how warm it is, uh, the color of the crust, how crusty it is, how fresh it is, how big the loaf is. And maybe 
once we're done, once we're, you know, exhausted thinking about all the bread details we want to talk about, maybe we'll talk about how we made the bread, how much time was spent kneading the dough, how, ma- how much of, you know, how much flour and how much water went into this thing and how long it proofed. You know, we're going to, we're going to talk about the, the construction of it along with its composition. And we're going to do that in as many different ways as we are comfortable so maybe if we're selling our bread, we're going to only sell our bread on this one website because that's what we like. But we understand that if we only sell it on one website, we're sort of closing the doors on other opportunities. But if that's what we choose, that's what we choose. I would encourage you to choose more than one. But you you want to talk about its its composition and its construction, whether it's a short story, whether it's a novel, whether it's a loaf of bread, whether it's a painting, whether it's a... Uh, I don't know, uh, a jar of bath water from a streamer in a bikini. You want to talk about its merits, talk about what it has going for it, talk about its good parts that you like, and then move forward. Great question. I'm going to go back to the agent question now. So your agent just dropped you via email. What do you do? Take a day off. Seriously, sit there and lick your wounds because that sucks because a lot of people put a lot of stock, a lot of stock in, you know, sitting with an agent. I got to get an agent. That makes me legit. I got to get traditionally published. That makes me legit. They put a lot. They give a shit about that. I don't know why. They just do. I wish they didn't, but they do. And so when, when this dream comes to a crashing halt, and it often comes to a crashing halt for a number of factors outside the writer's control, like the agent takes on too many clients and they just can't you know, work with all of them to the same degree and some are more popular than others. So the unpopular ones who didn't really get a fair shake to begin with get booted to the curb or the agent gets fired or they change jobs because being a pimp is apparently, you know, it's difficult being a parasite. Or, or the, the, the book isn't really selling and new material isn't forthcoming, so they're just kind of treading water and taking up space, you'll get dropped. It happens. Your next step, though, should be to figure out, once you've licked your wounds, after that you want to go back to your contracts and you want to look and see when the rights to your material come back to you. Do you have to wait 30 days, 2 weeks, 60 days, 90 days, 6 months? Is it six months from the day of your last sale? What are the terms that get you your property back? Your contract should list that. Your contract should have also listed the method by which you'll get released and what happens. There should be a termination section. There should be a set of rules that talk about like how this thing, what happens after it falls apart. Who walks away with what, for how much money, what kind of stuff happens, what kind of schedule does stuff go with. All those things should be laid out in a contract. Read that contract. Figure out what the next steps are. And then while you're waiting for those things to happen, plan your next move. And understand that if you're waiting for the rights to revert back to you, it might be a while. So rather than sit and wait and not be creative until you get your other book back, go start on another thing. Use a little of that anger, a little of that frustration. It's tempting to wallow in it. It's tempting to sit there and go, oh my God, this sucks. My life is over. My big dream, you know, fell apart. It does suck. I've had many big dreams in my life fall apart. It it hurts and it's okay to hurt and it's okay to hurt for a while. 
but that does not mean you get to pause everything and just have hurt. You have to learn how to be hurt and keep moving. And that's really, really hard. And if you're going through that, I'm really sorry, but please know that you're not alone. And if you need help, I'll help in whatever way I can. The point is, though, that you can't just stop. I know you want to. It's real tempting. I know it's real easy to catch a case of the fuck it all. Just fuck it all. I know. I get it. But don't. You've got it. You've had, you've been, you've had a setback. It's been pretty major. Use the time wisely. You are bigger than this setback. There is more to you than this setback. It's not ideal. It sucks. Great. We've agreed it sucks. Let's do more than talk about how shitty it is though. What are we going to do next? What's the next step? We got to get a, you got to get your rights back. You got to get your material back. And then you're going to figure out what your next options are. You can publish it yourself once you get the rights back. No, you got to get the rights back to do that first. You can go publish it yourself. You can go move to a different avenue. You can jump to a different platform. You can take a risk. You've been liberated. You no longer have to stay shackled to the old way of thinking. This is an opportunity. As much as it is a loss, it's an opportunity for growth and change. But you've got to be willing to loosen the rigidity of your thinking to get there. And sometimes in order to do that and get that loose, you got to grieve. So that's why your immediate next step should be feel like shit for a little bit. Then move on. Make a plan, strategize, and keep going. Great question. On we go. Question eight. What's the fastest way to get writing again after a significant break? (sighs) Imagine the... All right. For those of you who know me, imagine the face I just made. Because we've come back to this, this notion, this pool of stuff around the idea of fast and speed and taking too long or not taking long enough or hurrying up or moving, moving, moving and being, I don't know, hyperproductive. Why is it important that this be the fastest way? Because the fastest way would be to sit down and just start writing. That's always going to be the fastest way. But you're not asking me like a technical question. What's the fastest way to type? With your fingers. Like you're not not looking for that. One, because it's a smart ass answer. And two, because that's not really what you're talking about. You are looking for a way to get past the inertia. You are looking for a way to get past that feeling of, I've been away from this for a while. And either we're dealing with some guilt I can't believe I took that long. I suck. I shouldn't have done that. I know better. It's bad. I'm a bad person. Whatever. Guilt, shame, something like that. And then you're also looking at this idea of debt. I've been away for so long. I was writing in a really good clip. So I owe, I'm making air quotes, I owe the words. I have to make it up. I have to get back on track. Who said Maybe, maybe it's time for a new track. I know that's not the most comfortable thing in the world to hear, but you don't have to go back to the way things were. In fact, depending on the nature of the significant break, it might not be possible to go back to the way things were. For instance, if you took a few months off because you changed jobs, you might not have the ability to have the same writing schedule you used to. 
if you had a you know significant loss, you lost uh, a spouse, a partner, a child, a home, something significant, you might not want to feel like writing, and that's that's okay. It might be a while. It might feel really awful. It might feel really hard. It might feel like you can't do it anymore. I promise you, you can. It's just that you got to navigate the shitty feelings you're having and then loosen them a little and then through that space, express yourself through writing again. Don't rush it. Where are you rushing to? What's with this fastest way business? What's the fastest way? What's the easiest way? Why? Why are you looking to quickly kind of gloss over something in order to get back on track? Just start. I can guarantee you though, if I just tell you sit down and write, what's the fastest way to get back on track? Go back to writing. You're going to get angry at yourself. You're going to get frustrated because you're going to hold yourself to that old standard. Well, eight months ago before I took this break, I was writing a thousand words a day. Hey, look boss, it's not a thousand, it's not eight months ago again. Things have changed. You've changed. That doesn't mean you're incapable of going forward. That doesn't mean you won't get to a point where you'll be writing a thousand words or more again. It just means that right now, after this time off, you're not where you were. You're in a new place. You need to start over. I don't mean scrap the idea. I mean reassess how you prioritize your effort. It's going to be okay if for a while, and I don't know how long a while is, but if for a while, instead of a thousand words at a time, you write 10, 100, 200, three, I don't know, until you feel more comfortable. But holding yourself to the old standard and then using that as a cudgel to beat yourself up with is not helping. You are not at fault. You're not wrong. It wasn't bad that you took a break. Your reason for taking a break might have been significant. It might have been legit. Oh my God, I had this huge problem happen in my life. It might be some bullshit. It might be something super, you know, really, really like like fanciful and, and shallow. Oh, I, I wanted to become an exotic dolphin wrangler and I tried it and I hated it. Okay, back to work we go. It might be something internal and deep. Like I was just afraid because I was nearly done. Okay, well, to ease our way back into this, rather than trying to run back at top speed, how about we just work through those feelings? How about we just ease into writing and not judge it and not hold ourselves to old standards and really make an effort to figure out, okay, I'm trying to do a thing now the way I used to before, even though I'm not that same person and not in that same circumstance. And really be aware of that and really care about yourself enough to not beat yourself up for being different now than you were before. Time moves forward. We spend too much forward time trying to go backwards. It doesn't help. Believe me, I have been trying for years. It does not help. Just go forward. It's scary. It's frustrating. It feels weird, but there's better shit over there. You just have to get through the problems. And you do that by being honest with yourself, which for a lot of people is super uncomfortable. I know. 
but the fastest I don't give a shit about the best. I'll take the best. The best way to get writing again is to just write without the judgment of how much you're supposed to be writing. Just write one step at a time. Okay. Back we go. Question nine. Why is there so much drama in most writing communities? Well, as, as our good friend Snoop says, there's so much drama in the LBC. It's kind of hard being Snoop, D-O-double-G. The reason why there's so much drama in writing communities is because writing is one of those creative efforts that's incredibly vulnerable and incredibly emotional and incredibly personal. And when you take all three of those things and you smash it into these feelings and ideas of sort of like competition and capitalism. Oh, you knew damn well we were going to talk about some capitalism in a chat. I mean, come on now. So when, when we take these personal vulnerable ideas and feelings, things we work on by ourselves, privately, things that are deeply personal to us, and we smack them into the ideas of trying to do well and sell them and connect to the idea that if we don't sell well, we're not good people or that we're bad at this and we need to only be good at this and we have to contribute and who's better than me and who am I better than and all those capitalist, bullshit, competitive, patriarchal, sexist, ableist, privileged ideas, try to dominate our ability to express ourselves, you run into drama. You run into drama because people have ego. You run into drama and people have ego because there's unrecognized privilege, because there's unrecognized issues, because people are letting their trauma do their defining of things. People are letting their expectations run wild because nobody's ever taught them how to set boundaries and they don't give a shit about boundaries because they're too busy being unchecked, toxic, negative, either personally or socially. Like there's a million reasons for shitty people to congregate trying to find external things that will heal them. So they bring all their bullshit forward and then lends the rest of the world through their shit. And it's really hard to find spaces where drama doesn't persist because in order to do that, you have to leave all that stuff at the door, and that means for a lot of people, without that stuff, they don't know how to identify themselves. Because if I can't come in there and just swing around with a big giant ego, well, who am I? Oh, I'm just John. I'm just a guy. I know a lot about writing. I help people write better. All my other shit, I put over there and I deal with in other spaces. Writing communities thrive on drama because it gives somebody something to talk about. Because I don't know if you know this, but a lot of writing communities are real focused on community and not very focused on writing. They just happen to be spaces with a lot of people who swear they're doing writing. But I don't see a lot of people in these spaces talking about like, hey, man, my publishing date for this is here. My marketing link is here. Check this out. Come over here. You know, here's my pre-order link. Like they're not talking about the success of writing. They just want to talk about how hard it is. And then when you follow up with them, they tell you about how much not writing they're doing and how much I got to understand. Oh, John, you know, I wish I could be writing more. Okay, I'm I'm done with this conversation now. Because you're about to give me like five excuses as to why you're not writing and then you're going to ask me what it is you're supposed to be doing. You already know the answer. Like, I can go get a sandwich because the answer is supposed to be you're supposed to be writing more. Drama persists in these spaces because the focus is wrong. Because the focus is on who they are as people rather than who they are as people who happen to be writing. 
Too many people take a writing community as some sort of weird therapeutic space. And there's nothing wrong with communal therapy. There's nothing wrong with healing each other by being together. There's nothing wrong with collaboration. There's nothing wrong with, with bringing people together. That's wonderful. That's the whole point of a community. However, doing that to the point where you're not fixing your shit and you're just kind of throwing it around and then wielding it as a set of excuses to stop you from being creative and being your honest self, that's cowardly and shitty. And that breeds drama. And people love hierarchy and they love not working and they love being scared and talking about it and promoting their bullshit instead of just being themselves and being vulnerable and talking about when it's hard and trying their best anyway. One of the things in this world I am most, most proud of other than like, hey, I've lost 51 kilograms worth of person off my body frame and oh my God, I've developed like a ton of new skills for stuff one of the things I'm most proud of is that I made a little writing community. I made a little space where I get to actually be me sometimes. And I don't always have to be like on. I don't have to be like the guy. Sure, people ask a lot of questions and I answer them, but I'm allowed to have a bad day. I can talk about wrestling. I can tell, you know, stupid, stupid stories about all oh, this one time I watched a guy staple his tongue which is a thing I watched a guy do in order to impress a girl. It was weird and bad, and it wasn't me. Um, what a weird day that was. Anyway, like I get to be me in this space because there's no drama. I, went, I was in a space where there was drama. I left. Whether or not I caused that drama, I don't know. I don't really care. It was years ago. Who gives a shit? I'm a different person. But I made a space where people can be themselves, which is good because I like all the people there, and I like it when they're themselves. I like them when they're honest. I like them when they're vulnerable. I like them when they're working. I like them when they're discouraged. I like them when they're encouraged. You can build a community space without drama. You just have to work hard at it. It's like gardening, tilling soil, writing. You just got to care and work hard every day, and you can do it. Great question. And yes, for the record now, um, Snoop lyrics are stuck in my head. Are there any questions from anybody in chat? I noticed we're going long today. I'm sorry. Usually by now I'm like on question 12, but we went a little long because I got a little long in some other stuff. Questions, anybody? First of all, by the way, uh, looking at my YouTube metrics, this is usually a point where people dip out. I really, really appreciate you staying. Thank you. Whether you're staying because you're a bot and, and you are programmed to just leave when the video ends, I don't know. But thank you for being here. It means the world to me. Questions, anybody? I have to remember that there's a gap. Okay, on we go. Question 10. A fun question. God, I love fun questions. Best and worst movies I've seen this year. Oof. Oof. Okay. Okay. Um, can I give you two best movies I've seen this year and one worst? I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of stuff. And I've seen some I've seen a lot of good stuff and I've seen some not great stuff. Uh, two best movies I saw this year. Um, for two very different reasons. Uh, I loved Oppenheimer. It, it, when that streams wherever it streams. 
oh, there will be a great deal of, of Patreon content. It's patreon.com forward slash John Helps You Write Better, where I will talk at length about that movie because that movie's amazing. Oppenheimer. Uh, other best one, Barbie. The Barbie movie was brilliant. It's entirely different than Oppenheimer. Entirely different. But it's brilliant in its own way. Also, there's some fantastic, like, fascist jokes in there. Really a big fan of those. Um, but it was different. Both of them are realized visions. Both of them are crafted messages. Both of them contain individual moments that stand out on their own. One of them is profoundly dramatic and moving and affecting and gets you to look at yourself in a different way. And the other one is funny and gets you to look at yourself in a different way. And any story that can do that is a good story. All right. The worst movie I've seen this year. Oof. I am going to get grief for this for sure. <sighs> the worst thing I've seen this year. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this at all. And it, cause it's technically not a movie, but the worst piece of thing I've ever seen this year, uh, was the Ahsoka show over on Disney plus. There's a reason why I'm not covering it on Patreon. Um, it's not, it's not badly made for what it is, but it should have been animated. It should have told that story better. Putting real life people in it didn't matter. Some parts of it are excellent in like human existence. Um, but it should have been animated. And what made it the worst is that it tried too hard to be animated while being live action. And a lot of time and space doesn't, do anything it just took up space it was not good it was so not good i wanted it to be good but it was not good that's the worst thing i've seen this year more than some of the atrocious stuff i've seen for patreon that was the worst thing because i had hope with it i had an expectation it was going to be good i wanted it to be good i was ready to like ooh about it and then uh no it was not good people tried their best good for them they needed jobs they did their best job, but it could have been different and better. Step number one, they could have animated it. I think you could have gotten a more affecting story if it were animated. That way you could have worked longer episodes. But that's just me. That's what I think. On we go. Question 11. If the submission guidelines don't say anything about page numbers, can I put them where I want? Yeah. You're going to want to put them in like an obvious spot. You're going to want to put them probably in the upper, the upper right or the bottom center of the footer just so that they're in a consistent place where people expect them. Don't put them on like the upper left where the seam of the pages would be because then no one will see them. But yeah, you can put them where you want if the submission guidelines don't say anything about page numbers. That's usually a pretty good rule. If the guidelines don't cover something and it, it isn't that big a deal, you know, it's not margins, it's not font size. It's something minor, like page numbers, or whether they want serif or sans serif font. 
uh, you get to pick and choose. Just be reasonable about it. Don't like say, oh, well, they didn't say I couldn't use wingdings as a font. So you pick the most like atrocious, you know, pictographic font that isn't actually readable possible. But yeah, if it doesn't say, you can put them where you want. That's fine. Love a good technical question. On we go. Question 12. Now, this was a question that when I posted it in the, the Discord, as I do with all the questions, I think somebody said, bless your heart, which is just wonderful to hear. So question 12. What kind of thick skin do I really need to handle trad pub rejections? Um, I don't know if you're asking, like, to what degree of thickness you need. Like, do I need armor plating versus, like, gross grandma foot skin i i don't i don't know like are we talking like the was it the rockwell hardness scale for gemstones i i don't it's not like a certain density um but understand that you're going to get rejected in traditional publishing traditional publishing is built around rejection more than acceptance because that's that's how they make gatekeepers happen so yeah you're going to get rejected So you can prepare yourself and determine the amount of thickening your skin needs by understanding how you feel when people tell you no or when people tell you that your idea is bad or that you're stupid or that you are, you know, wrong. Any of those, any of those things that feel a little attacky, any of those that feel like they slip right past your defenses and kind of hit the squishy part of you where you're feeling a little vulnerable and, oh, no, I can't believe you said that. I'm really upset. You know that stuff? How do you feel about that? That's, that's how rejection feels. Why? Because what's being rejected isn't you, but you're going to take it as you because that's how the system is set up. They're rejecting your text. They're rejecting your approach. Here, here, here. We'll talk about it this way. Let's suppose there is someone you like. You like them quite a bit. And you don't want to open your mouth and say something stupid to them because you're worried if you do, they won't like you as much anymore. So you end up not saying all the things you think or all the things you want all the time. And it doesn't necessarily become awkward. But when you do get a little brave and you do say something and you do put yourself out there, and maybe the response you get from the person you like isn't exactly 1,000 million percent exactly the thing you want to hear, you might feel bad because, you know, they said, hmm, or no, or something, and your brain, trying to fill in the feeling of panic, reads into that, hmm, and no. Now, they just meant like, no, but you're, you're looking for meaning. You're trying to intuit and divine. Like, what did they mean when they said, hmm, maybe they're really mad. Maybe they're this. Maybe they're that. Maybe they hated this. Maybe they didn't like the fact that I said cheese two sentences ago. And you start looking for all these different little things to try and justify the panic you're feeling about that unknownness in their response. That's how rejection feels. It happens with traditional publishing. You're going to get a lot of, no, thanks so much, but this isn't for us, which isn't going to tell you if anything's wrong. It's not going to tell you how to make it more like something they want, but you're going to get a form rejection letter and you're immediately going to start thinking, well, maybe they didn't like my characters. Maybe if I had a flashback, maybe if there's a horse, maybe if there's a this, maybe if I take this out and you're going to start tearing everything apart when in fact, all they said 
was no or hmm and go on from there. Over time, as you get better at understanding that they're rejecting how you went to approach them and what you said about what it is you're approaching them with, rather than who you are as a human existentially, this is where we diverge from the here's a person you like metaphor versus here's a book you publish metaphor. When you realize they're just rejecting your approach and they're not denying you as a human, you get over rejection slowly, awkwardly, and sometimes it still hurts. I've stopped counting rejections. I hear no from people all the damn time. Hey, do you want some coaching? Hey, it sounds like you're struggling with this thing. Do you want some help? Um, I, if, here's an example. Here's a great example. Every week, every week, more or less, as much as I can, I ask if people have questions, not necessarily here in chat, though it does happen sometimes in chat, but elsewhere, I will frequently ask, hey, I'm around today if you have questions. I might as well talk to that pile of socks I need to fold. I'll get more of a response from them because maybe my cat has like tunneled under them to surprise me because she likes to like jump out and ah at me because it makes me laugh and her laugh. But um, yeah, crickets, man, crickets. That's a rejection and it hurts every time. Every time that hurts. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't make them ask questions. I just got to go out there and try. And over time, you get used to it. And over time, you get some thicker skin. I hope that answers your question. Good luck out there. Please understand that you're going to get rejected more times than you'll get accepted. And that's okay. Good luck. On we go to our very last question of the day. Are you really sure? Question 13. Are you really sure... You don't want to be an agent. Man. Originally, this was going to be like question two, just so you know. But I saved it for the last. Because what the hell question? Are you sure you don't want to be an agent? That's like saying, hey, do you want to be like a, like a tick? No, I don't want that. I have no desire to be an agent. I will tirelessly advocate for clients. I will make sure people see their links. I will put their stuff in newsletters. I will buy their merch. I will wear their t-shirts. I will read their smut. I will tell them if the thing they wrote was hot. I will stand there and tell them that they're amazing. I will do loads of stuff in a work capacity to help them be their best work selves. And as a person with the people to whom I am intimate, I will be my best self to help them be their best selves assuming I don't meet like giant resistance or something. I don't need to take 10% of anything in order to do that. I'll do that willingly. I will do that happily. This idea that in order to do a good job, I have to have it financially incentivized is sure tempting because we are going to a time of the year where Generally, the money falls off, and that always scares me. But I am profoundly uncomfortable at the idea of what I do best, help people write better, help people believe in themselves, help empower them to go do things, needs to get 10% of their work to me to justify it. I don't like that idea. 
I do what I do and I provide a service. People pay for that service. I'm very happy with that. Just like if you went to a trainer at a gym, they help you work out, you pay the trainer. Straightforward, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I'm not comfortable with, with pimping out people. There's nothing wrong with sex work. That's not what I'm talking about when I call them a pimp. Uh, maybe a better word, a more aggressive word would be an exploiter. I'm not interested in exploiting people. I want nothing to do with the people who exploit others. That's bad. I don't want that. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to add to that. I want to do the opposite. I want to get rid of them. You don't need them. You know, just like you check your pets for fleas and ticks. I'm going to check writing for fleas and ticks. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be an agent. I don't want to connect the dots for people. I want to give them the ability. I want to remind them that they're able to connect their own dots because they're good enough to, because it's not as scary as they think. And that the emperor, this traditional publishing system, has no clothes. And somebody has to say it. And they don't have to be afraid of it anymore. They can just be themselves. And they'll be just fine. I don't want to take 10% of that. I don't want to take 20% of that. I don't want to, you know, be somebody whose sole joy in life is to be, you know, quoted in a tweet that, ah, I'm being repped by so-and-so. You can just, I rep you no matter what. It doesn't have to be in a tweet. I'll stand up for you. I like you. Why not? Who cares? I don't want to be an agent. If you're an agent listening to this, and I'm aware that some agents do, please know that you're very nice humans, and I have no respect for what you do for a living. And I really would strongly consider you doing anything else. I still like you. You're still very nice to me. Thank you for saying hello when we see each other. But please understand that I think you're an unnecessary leech on a system that is already strained long past due. And you are dealing with dinosaurs trying to keep the dinosaurs alive while the sky is falling and the meteor is coming. I don't like you. I'm sorry. I don't want to join your ranks. I don't want to start my own way. I just want to help people write better. I think that's more important. Because if people write better and understand that they can take their art and put their art into the world and do very well by it, it's not going to be the same as the people who get, I get a giant check from a corporation. Good for you. It's not going to be the same. And I understand that. And I know that's frustrating for people because they see those big numbers like it's a high score on a video game. And they feel like they have to do that in order to be good enough because that's the system you and your ilk, your exploiters perpetuate that the big advances and the big traditional publishing contracts are what's mattering. And that's wrong. It's so wrong because there are so many people, so many marginalized communities, so many creatives creating all different kinds of stuff that you won't show the light of day. You'll talk about how great it would be to be inclusive. You'll talk about it being important, but you won't do that because the work takes more time because they take more care because they require more effort because they're not easily sellable like the mainstream privileged people to whom you frequently cater. And that's wrong. You don't get to talk about how much you love good books and how much you love seeing writers succeed when all the writers look like you. That's not right. There are whole communities of people, whole groups of storytellers, whole planetfuls of creatives that you are purposely saying aren't good enough because you can't sell them the way you sell this other population. 
That's wrong. You're wrong for doing that. And I fundamentally believe in people more than a system. I don't want to be part of the system. I want to be part of the people. So no, I don't want to be an agent. I want to help people write better. I want to help them see that there are more ways to accomplish their goal without trying to reach for this high scoreboard from one group of folks. If they're just talking about money, hey, there's loads of different ways we can all make more bank. But if we're talking about this in terms of this is the only way to be legit, this is what real publishing is like, you can just GTVF all the way O because that's not the point. It's not the point at all. I don't want to be part of the system that tells somebody that they can't make good art because of who or what they are or that their very good art as it is, which only needs a certain set of tweaks to get it out the door, is not good art because it doesn't match up with what everybody else is inhaling. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be an agent. So no, get fucked. Are there any questions from anybody in chat? I notice, like, I just watched the number go up on the screen. Like, I'm two minutes away from ending and more people come in. So hi, uh, thanks for coming. I love you. It's delightful seeing you. Any questions from anybody here? Am I going to play the new Spider-Man? I am playing the new Spider-Man currently. I am 12 or 13% in apparently. Um, I just did like one of the first big major story missions. Like nothing big has happened yet. I've just done some like some some setup missions, but I'm, I'm digging that game hard. It's so nice. The soundtrack is also excellent working music. Loving the new Spider-Man. Uh, I know everybody's saying it's really short, but like... I'm okay if I never finish the story and if I just swing around like fighting crime. I'm really happy with it. Do I think, hang on, do I think there's something to Stephen Pressfield's idea of the muse, the idea that in order to summon the muse or inspiration, it only shows up when you put in the work? Kinda. Um, kinda. I agree with that idea. First of all, there's no muse. So this idea of an external muse, like I have to wait for the right set of conditions in order to work, I think that's a trap. I think it's a trap whenever somebody's like, look at my astrological set of bodies. That's the reason why I can do what I do. Now, that's just the permission slip you're giving yourself, but okay. I dislike the idea of the external muse. I love the idea of the internal muse. The idea that your success is built on your previous effort, I think that matters. I think, because for me, there, that, that speaks to something in myself, this idea of like, as I get going with a thing and as I'm feeling good about how well I'm doing, I will do more of it because it feels good, speaks to both my addict nature, my hedonist nature, uh, but also my creative like itches get scratched that way. I think there is something to it that inspiration comes with the effort you apply if I'm sitting here thinking about how I'm going to like frame, frame a chat or frame a workshop or something, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about stuff. And as I'm talking about it, Ooh, this idea will pop into my head and I got to like go write down a note or something. Cause I'll, I'll act on it. I'll say something about it. I think it's, I think it's accurate in that regard. I don't particularly like his, um, he's got a very 
granular view of like what is and isn't resistance. Uh, I think there's some, there's some, there's some privilege Mr. Pressfield needs to examine uh, as to like what it is and who it is and how it affects people and stuff. But overall his idea on the muse and, and summoning the muse means you got to do some work first. Don't wait for the muse, then work, start working. And then as you go, you'll, you'll feel more dynamic and more fluid about it. The easy comparison, if, if I've said all these words and you're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. The easy comparison is this. If you've ever been to the gym and you've ever tried to work out your first couple stretches and moves or whatever, will feel a little stiff, but you'll warm up and then you'll do more. You'll feel better. Those first two or three feel a little awkward, but then you'll get going. And if you're not crazy about a gym physicality metaphor, consider that, you know, the first time you did a thing, it felt weird. You didn't think you did a great job. Like learning how to walk, learning how to ride a bike, uh, learning how to navigate stairs, learning how to speak a language. Those first times you started, like it felt like it was really weird. You didn't really know what was going on. But as you did more of it, you got more comfortable with it. And now you don't really have to think twice about it. I think that's as much the muse and that's as much inspiration and that's as much enlightenment and, and light bulb going offness as anything else. What a great question. Excellent. Love that so much. Other questions? Otherwise we'll get out of here. Yeah, we're good. Okay. I'm going to go to the outro. Outro. Thank you, every single one of you, for being here. Thank you for your brilliant questions. Thanks for letting me talk about Snoop. Thanks for letting me talk about muses and parasites and focus and believing in yourself and being good enough and poetry contests and socks and and all the different random stuff i've talked about today thanks for being here i'm grateful for each and every single one of you so much now hang on hang on hang on the next time i'm here i'll be right back here in your eyes and in your ears tomorrow night at 7 p.m eastern for uh well there's a whole thing Where's the title page? There's the title page. I'm going to talk about how to focus on your work. What's important? What's not important? What do you do when everything feels like shit and you're not any good at it? I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on Twitch. And then it'll go up on YouTube and in the podcast feed. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you're here tonight. I'm here tomorrow night for it. I'm really glad you were here today for this. Thank you so much. All power to all people. I will talk to you very soon. Very soon. See ya.